Happy Mother's Day. I just want to say that we're thankful for you. We're grateful for you. We're grateful for your presence here and for the gift it is to know you and to have you in this place today. So whether you call Journey Church your home church or not, today we want to gift you something. And uh, we wanted to try to give you something. We've been doing this the last couple of years. We wanted to try to gift you with something of substance, something that maybe would be really hard to give you in any other circumstance. And so what we give you is a card, first of all. When you leave today, you'll get a handwritten card from one of the men in our church. Uh, we, we've taken your names this week. We've prayed over them. Uh, we've prayed for you, and we've written handwritten cards to you to thank God for you and to let you know that you're appreciated and loved and cared for. We also want to give you the gift of time, if we can, and that's hard to do. So we symbolize that in giving you a Starbucks gift card. So you can go get yourself an overpriced coffee and, uh, or two. You should be able to afford two. It's a $10 gift card for Starbucks. On every card, it says you're awesome. And uh, I want you to remember that that's how we feel about you when you use it, when you go. So uh, like we've done the last couple of years, I'm going to give you the ground rules. You're not allowed to spend this card on somebody else. Uh, you're not allowed to, to uh, use this card in, in uh, an around commotion and calamity. You need to find a place where you can just sort of get some time to breathe, and uh, to take a moment for yourself, whether that's in the car, uh, by yourself, or on your way somewhere, or whether that's uh, in any other circumstance, the goal is to use this. If you don't have to drink coffee, you can get iced tea, you can get a bottle of water. I don't care what you spend it on, but this is for you, and we're trying to give you the symbol of time. If we could, we would do that for you in any way we can. We know that we can't for all of you, so we want to at least take this opportunity to thank God for you, to let you know that you're loved, appreciated and cared for, seen and heard and valued. And so I want to take some time to pray for you. And before you leave today, make sure that, uh, that, that you get your card. We have them for all the women here, and uh, we're grateful for you. So let me pray for you. God, thank you for Mother's Day, the opportunity it is to just pause. And thank you for this beautiful creation that in the garden you said uh, that, that creation wasn't complete that you needed to make an indispensable partner for Adam. That over all of creation, there wasn't a sufficient uh, co-partner in life to Adam. So you caused him to fall asleep. You took out of him a rib and you formed a woman with your own hand. You gifted us with women. So Lord, forgive us for the times that we have undervalued them that we have underappreciated them, that we have shoved them aside and uh, forgive us for generations of chauvinism, forgive us for generations of sexism, forgive us for the times when we're calloused or not sensitive to the issues that they walk through on a daily basis. And may today be a day of healing and rejoicing, even if it is a day that comes with sadness. We recognize that Mother's Day is not... Uh, uh, an awesome and fun day for every woman, but we pray that this helps. We pray that these women that are here at Journey Church today feel loved, valued, appreciated, and seen. Well, we love them, and we're grateful for them. We're more grateful for a loving God who crafted them with his own hand. We're grateful for a time when we can come together and we can worship today. We can, we can sing praises to a creator God who so richly blessed us with all the things in our lives including the women that brought us into it and the women that we get to worship next to today. 
So, Lord, may today be a day where you are honored and glorified, where we are uplifted and strengthened because of your spirit, and where the people that leave Journey Church today leave with a renewed sense of purpose and understanding that they are loved, valued, and seen, not just by the people they are able to be in this building with, but by a God who crafted them. And may we recognize the holiness of that God this morning. In your name I pray. Amen. Stand and worship together. The praise is rising. The praise is rising. And eyes are turning to Turn to you. Hope is stirring. Hearts are yearning for you. We long for you. Because when we see you, we find strength to face the dead. In your presence, all our fears are washed away, washed away. And Hosanna, and Hosanna, you are the God who saves us, worthy of all our praises. And Hosanna. Turn to you. In your kingdom, you make us new. 
Cause when we see you, we find strength to face the day. And in your presence, all our fears are washed away. Washed away in Hosanna, in Hosanna. You are the God who saves us, worthy of all our praises. In Hosanna, in Hosanna. Come every way among us, we welcome you here, Lord Jesus. Cause when we see you, we find strength to face the day. And in your presence, all our fears are washed away. Cause when we see you, we find strength to face the day. And in your presence, all our fears are washed away. They're washed away. And Hosanna, and Hosanna, you are the God who saves us. Worthy of all our praises And Hosanna And Hosanna Come have your way among us And welcome you here, Lord Jesus Still wealth or night, or 
whenever I looked at the worship set list that Dusty put together this morning for Mother's Day and I saw this next song on here. Not only because as a woman I feel like there are not many things we need more reminded of than of God's consistent um, faithfulness to us, but also I got really excited because our, our adorned women um, are going through a Bible study in Exodus together. And just this past Wednesday, a couple days ago, we were studying through um, Exodus um, 15 through 17. And in Exodus 16 is where God, the Israelites are wandering. They're in the wilderness. They don't have anything to eat. And God provides the manna for them. So this, this bread for them to eat to sustain them. And for the first time um, while studying for that, I saw that in Exodus 16, 21, um, it says that morning by morning they gathered it. I never realized that that line from Great is Thy Faithfulness, morning by morning, new mercies I see, um, shows up there in Exodus, the very beginning of this story that God promised morning by morning, I'm going to give you what you need. He gave them just enough um, for each day. And as they gathered it each day, he wanted to remind them to trust him um, for daily grace, for daily provision, for daily sustenance. He wanted them, his people, to be satisfied in him, to trust him and nothing else. So I think we can try really hard to store up something to find our security in, to be secure in, um, but it's never going to satisfy. And the thing with the Israelites in the wilderness is even when they tried to collect more than they were supposed to, it rotted if they took more than what they needed for that day. And on the day that God told them to rest, if they tried to go out to the fields to find what they needed, they couldn't find it because he had promised to sustain them with what he gave them. So like the song that we just sang said, we can try to find our worth in what we own. We can try to find um, our identity in what we do or in how we look 
or in what people say we are or in what kind of mother we are, what kind of woman we are. We can try to find our worth and security and our identity in that. But God consistently reminds us that your worth and your value was fixed at the cross, that our worth and our identity and our value and our security come from him. And in Lamentations 3, it says this, But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. So God was the Israelites' portion daily in the wilderness, and he is our portion, our inheritance, are exactly what we need for each day. So woman, daughter, sister, mother, God is your portion. He is enough for you. Great is his faithfulness. Great is thy faith. 
As we, uh, as we prepare to hear your message this morning, um, and may we rest in that, uh, God, as we reflect, as we, as we look back, um, God, may we see your faithfulness, and Lord, when we leave this place today, may we uh, grow even more in, in that understanding and that reassurance uh, of who you are. God, we love you, and we thank you for, for this, and uh, yeah, we love you. In your name, amen. All right, you got to have a seat. Older kids, you're actually staying in here today. Younger kids, you're dismissed. So if you go to class down the hall, you're, you get the joy of being in here today. I think they got the memo. Back in the early 1700s, a stooped-over elderly woman with crippled fingers used to pray for her son every day. Just like she did every time that she did the family wash. She prayed that God would use her son John in a mighty way to touch the lives of others. God answered that mother's prayer. And today John Newton's hymn, Amazing Grace, is one of the most beloved hymns ever written. John Quincy Adams was highly educated at a really early age. But he said this, My mother was a minister of blessing to all human beings within her sphere of action All that I am, my mother made me. James Garfield was actually raised by a single mom. And after his inauguration, after he took oath, he leaned over and he kissed his mom and he said, Mom, you have brought me to this moment. On the day of his mother's funeral, President Ulysses S. Grant told the preacher, Make no reference to me. My mother gained nothing by any position. I have filled her honors that may have been paid me. I owe all I am to her earnest, modest, and sincere piety. Abraham Lincoln's mother used to sit Abe on her knee every day and read the Bible to him. She said, I would rather Abe be able to read the Bible than to own a farm if he could have but just one. Nancy Todd Lincoln died when Abe was just nine years old. And here were her last words that she said to Abe Lincoln. Abe, I'm going to leave you now, and I will not return 
I want you to be kind to your father and live as I have taught you. Love your heavenly father and keep his commandments. Dr. G. Campbell Morgan was a preacher in the late 1800s, and actually there were four preachers in his family. And one evening there was someone over for dinner, and they were all sitting around the dinner table, and the family friend that was there asked, which one of the Morgans is the greatest preacher? And they all looked at each other, and one of them spoke up, our mother. So there is a history, if... And when I, when I started researching and Googling some of those stories, I mean, I could have just stood here for the next two hours and shared really awesome stories about people, most, mostly men, that were put in very powerful and influential spots that credited women in their lives with being the building blocks to get them to stand on the podiums or the platforms that they were standing on. So Mother's Day is a celebration of, of godly women influencing people whether that's a biological mom or a spiritual mother. I look back on my growing up years, and my mom is still an amazing presence in my life. My mom is one of the most generous people I've ever met in my life. She's brutally honest to a flaw. I get it honestly from her. Uh, but she is fierce in her loving of people. And she's one of the most generous human beings I've ever met. But I looked on my growing up years and I thought of these other women that God had placed in my life that had this really heightened spot of influence. And I thought to myself, if God would have removed my mother from me early on in my, in my journey and everything stayed the same, everything else, all the other players that stepped into my life would have stayed the same, would I have turned out any different? And I think by God's grace, that all the women that God put in my life to be building blocks, they would have still pointed me to Jesus, just like they did. These women that partnered with my mom to be my spiritual mom, and the stories can be told all over the place. We're going to look at something this morning together. It's in 2 Timothy chapter 1. We're just going to look at the first five verses together. It's on page 688. If you're using the Bible in front of you, it should be a little easier to find that way. I don't think 688 has a page number on it because it's the, it's the first one. 2 Timothy 1, 1 through 5. Mother's Day sermons can be tricky. You know, the classic one is to preach through Proverbs 31 and make all the women in the congregation feel guilty. That's the classic Mother's Day sermon. But what we're going to do today is just look at these five verses because I think they're rich in theology, but I also think there's, there's, there's pieces in here that we tend to skirt over or we make sort of like a minor point when they're more of a major point than we want to give it credit for. So 2 Timothy, the first five verses of chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. 
So let's look at a couple things here. The first, there, and this is in no particular order. We're going to bounce around a little bit here. But in verse 2, uh, Paul refers to Timothy as a true son in the faith. In that same one, he refers to Timothy as a beloved son. Now, there's no doubt that Paul and Timothy were able to develop this strong father-son relationship when, when Timothy was going along with Paul on his second missionary journey. So let me give you a couple stats on Timothy that maybe you don't know, and then we're going to get into the meat of why we're talking about this. Paul had so much confidence in Timothy and, and in Timothy's faithfulness to the cause of Christ that he sent him to straighten out problems in the church in Corinth. And as we read through New Testament history, that might have been the most troubled church in all the ones that Paul planted. And whenever troubles arose and he needed someone to step in and mediate, he thought so much of Timothy, a young man, that he sent him in. He thought so much of Timothy's faithfulness to the Lord and faith in God that he sent him to Corinth to mediate the mess and to lead people back to the truth of the gospel. When the Thessalonian Christians were being persecuted for their faith, Paul sent Timothy to Thessalonica to encourage them. He thought so much of Timothy's faith and so much of Timothy's belief that God is who he said he is that when the believers in Thessalonica who were being persecuted and and being, I mean, when I say persecution, I don't mean people were treating them mean at work. I mean, they were under some major persecution. Paul sent Timothy to encourage them. When Paul was sitting in prison in Rome, he sent young Timothy to Philippi to encourage the Christians there and then report back to him. He trusted him. He trusted his his take. He trusted his assessment. Now in the first and second letters that he writes to Timothy, we find out that Timothy is in Ephesus. Now that might not sound like much, but Ephesus is a premier church. It's in a premier location. It's got Uh, it's got a lot of potential moving forward, and the gospel is starting to branch out of Ephesus. So Ephesus is what we would call a cultural hub. And so the, the philosophy of the day was that if we can get the gospel to overtake the church in Ephesus, and we can get the gospel to really get deep rooted in Ephesus, then as culture starts to bleed out of a cultural hub, the gospel will be the thing that starts to bleed out of a cultural hub. And it will no longer be pagan idolatry and pagan worship. It'll be Jesus. It'll be the gospel. So Ephesus was a premier church that was being planted and was planted. And false teachers, of course, because Satan hates when stuff like that happens, start pouncing in on the church in Ephesus. And they're trying to lead people astray. Now, Paul knew the church desperately needed someone who had sound doctrine and a really strong faith to refute these false teachers and to keep the church on the right track. This was no small task. This was a huge job. To send someone into Ephesus to make sure that you were refuting educated false teachers who were so good at their craft, they were starting to lead people away from the truth of the gospel. And Paul, in his prayers starts to think through who is the right person to send to set these people on the right path to make sure that the gospel reigns supreme, who is strong enough to stand up to the opposition, who's wise enough to interpret all of it and then translate it back to the gospel and get people on track and make sure that the church stays on the track that it's supposed to be on. Who can I entrust with that? 
Who has a faith that's solid enough to endure that? Who has, who has a faith that when the persecution starts raining down on him and the hard questions start raining down on him and he starts to doubt what he knows, that his faith will reign supreme in God and he will lead that church well? Who is that person? Who can I trust? And it was Timothy. The fact that Timothy had the complete confidence of a godly man, the stature of Paul, should be one of the only things we need to hang our hat on to know what kind of character this man had. Timothy was what Paul called a son. My son in the faith. Paul invested in him at the level of of a father investing into a son. No, we don't find any record of Timothy's death in the scriptures. Early Jewish historical writings tell us that Timothy was martyred in Ephesus while trying to stop some lewd, indecent processions during the festival of Diana. It was pagan worship at its worst, and he had stepped in to try to stop it. Jewish history tells us that's how he died. There's no record of that in God's word, but we do have historical documents that point us in that direction. So the question I have for you is what markers showed up in Timothy's life? How in the world did he become this man that when Paul needed his right-hand man, when Paul needed to send someone in, when Paul needed a fixer, we could call it, who did he call on? Who did he want to send in? Did he contact the 12 apostles? Did he contact Peter or John? Did he contact Barnabas or John Mark? These big prominent names we've heard of. Did he contact Philip? No. He contacted Timothy. And he tells us very little as to why, but what he does tell us is substantial. So the first few verses, let's just look here. Paul is telling us that he writes the letter. Paul is an apostle of Jesus Christ. I want you to pay attention in just these these two verses, how many times you hear reference back to Jesus or God. Okay, He's, he's being redundant on purpose. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. So he's writing this with the authority of God. He's writing this by the will of God. He's saying that God has appointed me an apostle of Christ Jesus, that I met with Jesus, was educated by Jesus, was shown the scriptures by Jesus, and I've been given authority by Jesus. It is the will of God according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. He's saying that the gospel is what reigns supreme. See, the promise of life in Christ Jesus, what he's referring to is the full gospel, that we were broken sinners, we were on a messy track of sin in by something we could not fix for ourselves. And Jesus stepped in as our intermediary, stepped into our place, fixed the problem of sin through his death, burial, and resurrection. And out of that, now Paul is an apostle, a messenger, a witness, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. What he's saying here is that without the the moment that changed all of human history, without the resurrection of Jesus, without the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus... I have no purpose. There's no point in me saying anything. So here's why I'm writing you this letter, Timothy. But then he says, I'm writing it to Timothy, my beloved child. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. 
I think what he's saying here, let me interpret it into Adam Johnson lingo here. I think what he's saying to Timothy is, buckle up, buddy. There's some big work ahead of you, and you are under the same calling that I'm on. You have been given the same authority I've been given. And then he goes on to say, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers day and night. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. This is someone who they've served in the trenches together, right? You can feel it when you read verse 3 and 4, can't you? And I remember your tears. I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I'm guessing if you're like me, there's not a huge long list of people that you could say, I long to be in that person's presence because when I'm in that person's presence, I feel joy. That's probably not a super long list. But what he's saying is, Timothy, oh, I wish I, wish I could tell you this in person. I wish I could look you in the eyes and tell you what I'm about to tell you because I love being in your presence. Timothy, when I'm with you, it produces joy in my heart. But then he says something in verse 5. He says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith. A faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And now I am sure dwells in you as well. So why? How did Timothy become such a godly man of faith? Well, he answers it for us right there. When he says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, the faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. Behind Timothy's strong faith, behind Timothy's deep convictions, behind Timothy's solid doctrinal foundation was two women. Two women who poured their lives into him. Now, verse 5 is the complete biography of these women. It's the only reference to either of these women in the entire Bible. By name, it's the only time we see them show up in all of Scripture, and yet these women take their place beside all the other great women of faith. They take their place alongside all the women in the Bible that we hold in high esteem because of the godly influence they had on this young man. So by name, it's the only place that they show up. But any time we see evidence of Timothy being a man of God who was used by God to do amazing things for the kingdom, these women show up in the story. might also interest you to know that this is one of the very few times the term grandmother even appears in Scripture. We're told in 2 Timothy 3.15 that Timothy had known the Scriptures from the time he was a young child. Now, no doubt, he, he learned the scriptures from his mother and his grandmother. It was that early spiritual nurturing that prepared Timothy for all the spiritual responsibilities that would one day fall on his shoulders. In Acts 16, we learn that Timothy's father was Greek. Most Bible scholars believe his father probably died when Timothy was really young, but uh, that would explain why he was raised by his mother and his grandmother. The fact that Paul recognized the influence of Timothy's grandmother, it, it seems to indicate 
that she must have spent a lot of time with young Timothy. Most likely, most likely because Lois, his mother, would have had to be making a wage to support her son. So grandmothers, can I just pause for a second and say that if you are spending a predominant amount of time with your grandchildren, please know that it is not a waste. And your job is not to hand them more candy or to buy them more things. Your job is to point them to Jesus in a whole new phase of life and in a whole new job description. Some of you are doing grandmothering with more intensity than you did mothering. But it matters. It matters. Eunice and Lois's names have been permanently etched in God's word. Do you get that? These two women's names are permanently etched in the pages of God's word. Their influence as a grandmother or a mother poured into this young man. Now, there's also evidence to support in scripture that maybe maybe grandma wasn't necessarily a biological grandmother. But someone who saw the situation that Timothy's single mom was in and jumped in to help. So this message is not just to encourage or to reinforce the narrative of biological parenting. This message is one that says, if you track it back, Paul is saying that the gospel is what reigns supreme. The gospel is what gives him the authority to speak what he's speaking, to do what he's doing, to go where he's going, right? Let's follow the, the, the path here. Then it says that, that he is, he's seeing that same calling in Timothy's life. So as he's about to send Timothy out, as he's about to commission him in and, and encourage him in an all new way and all the different experiences we see Timothy go through throughout history, all the things that we see him do for the kingdom, all the strength that he has and all the courage that he has, Paul's recognizing that and saying that I see God's calling on your life. I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. As I think about you, Timothy, I'm automatically, Timothy, as I pray for you, as I think of you, as I see your giftedness play out, as I see your faith in God grow, as I see your desire to do kingdom work, as I see your strength and, and, and veracity to attack the gospel and to keep moving forward in it, as I see the potential for you to do all the work, I can't help but think of your grandma and your mom. I can't help but think and thank God I'm reminded of the sincere faith, your sincere faith. That first, that first dwelt in your grandmother and your mother. And now I am sure dwells in you as well. If you go on, verse 6 tells us, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. 
So the first part of, of verse 6 is a transition statement. He's telling us something, and it's based on something he told us before. So when you see something like, for this reason, if we just started there, it should bring to mind a question, what reason? For what reason? If he's saying, for this reason, I'm telling you. So this is, this is a verse that's quoted often, right? It said, God didn't give us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And that's a really good one to remember. That's a really good one to quote. It's a really good one to have on one of these signs in your house. But remember that at the beginning of that thought pattern, he said, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. For what reason? That he has a sincere faith. That his faith is sincere, which means it's honest, which means it's Brutally honest, which means that when Timothy's wrestling with these things that Paul's encouraging him to work through, you, you, you aren't someone who's fearful. You are someone who has power and love and self-control. What he's doing is he's addressing things that Timothy has most likely expressed to him as areas of concern or doubt or fear. He's saying, remember that that's not who you are, Timothy. You're not fearful. But I can say that because you have a sincere faith, because you've been honest with your wrestling, you've been honest with your doubts, you've been honest with your faith, but you've never doubted the premacy of God, the supremacy of God. Where did that come from? Where did that start? I believe that the hero in the story of Timothy is not Paul. First and foremost, it is God. It is Jesus. And next step down from that are two women that get mentioned one time in the annals of Scripture but made an eternal impact. So whatever label you carry as a woman, your work for the kingdom matters. I feel like our culture is all about comparisons. We want to look to the left and to the right, and we want to compare ourselves to the person next to us. We want to tell ourselves that this person does it better than me, or I'm a failure because of this. I tend to think in my head that things that happen in my house probably don't happen in any other home in all of America. I tend to convince myself that the trappings and things that, that I struggle with or the things that my wife struggles with, we can maybe convince ourselves that we're the only ones that deal with those things. And then we, what we do is we, we hold ourselves off in solitude and we can convince ourselves that nobody else has ever dealt with that. And then I see a, a, a silly video like that and I realize, oh my word, it's that common that someone can make a video and the, the room's full of people that can relate to it. There's no temptation that we can feel, no sin that we can, that we can fall trapped to, fall prey to, that hasn't been thrown as a temptation to somebody else. That's how Satan operates. But I think, ladies, if I could speak into something, that the way Satan most tries to rob you of your joy is through making you feel insignificant. The way that our culture has told you to read this book and to see it is from a defensive position, saying that it's male-centric and you don't fit in the narrative. 
May I remind you that Jesus was birthed into this world by a woman. That yes, Jesus was a man. And yes, there's probably a lot of evidence to support the male-centric tone of the Word of God. But there's no place in this book that allows us to believe that women are insignificant in the storyline of God and in the beauty and expansion of the gospel. But our culture wants to rob you of your significance. And I think moments like this, when we can see the story of Timothy, we can see him moving the gospel forward, we can see a a faith that is sincere, and we can track that back to two women that poured their lives into him, that poured their faith in God into him. You realize that before Paul was able to speak into Timothy's doubts, these two women were speaking into Timothy's doubts. When Timothy dealt with the the fear or the lack of power or the lack of love or the lack of self-control that that Paul is addressing, whenever he tells him in verse 8, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. That before Paul, the the people that, that invested in Timothy and made his faith robust the women that ca- the people that got him reoriented back were women. You see, Timothy isn't Timothy without the women who influenced him and pointed him to Jesus. Their faith was a gift to him. God shaped and molded them. This gift of grace is affordable to all of us. So when he's speaking to Timothy in verse 6, he's actually speaking to all of us in verse 7. He says to Timothy, for this reason, because of this robust and sincere faith, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Verse 7 is whenever transitions over, and this is for all of us. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. That's what God has given us. That is what we invest into those around us. Men and women alike, that is the call of the church, to make disciples. And we can't make disciples without relationship, and we can't make disciples without a sincere faith. For some of us, that sincere faith was handed to us By generations ago, maybe it's something new that's being developed now, but if we don't partner together to get that done, we're not working at full capacity. So men and women alike, I pray that the gospel builds in us a sincere faith, that we step into the roles that God has given us, whether as a biological parent or a spiritual one, and we invest in those around us. And we do what the heroes of the faith, Lois and Eunice, were able to do in Timothy's life. And that's to invest in him a sincere faith, a rock-solid faith. One that cannot be shaken, one that gives a spirit of fear. Not a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and love and self-control. God, we're grateful that you have etched these words into the heart's your people. Thank you for how you've crafted and, and furthered your gospel through so many hands. And I'm thankful for Timothy's story. 
I'm thankful for how the story of Timothy's life played out. I'm thankful for his faithfulness to you that was first modeled to him by women that were put in his life. Lord, I pray that we don't believe the lie that we don't matter or that we're not doing it right. I pray that we can lean into one another and accept and receive and give help and mercy along the way. Lord, that we could all take this gospel that's implanted in us and then give it to others. I pray that this Mother's Day, the women in this church feel loved, encouraged, valued, and seen. That we can see that that Timothy was Timothy because of the women you've put in his life. Lord, may we take you at your word. May you build in us a sincere faith. And may we go from this place encouraged, built up, and willing to serve, willing to see, willing to work. In your name we pray. Amen.